Good morning. Well, we're continuing our series in Jeremiah, and we are going to be looking this morning at Jeremiah chapter 7. So if you've got a Bible, you can find Jeremiah chapter 7. If not, it will be on the screen. Jeremiah, kind of three quarters way through what we know as the Old Testament, perhaps. Maybe it's just over halfway through in your Bible. But we are on Jeremiah chapter 7. So, Jeremiah, we have this account of what's been happening in the life of God's people in a time in their history. Probably around, we're looking today, around 600 BC. But more than that, it's more than just an account, it's God's view on them. God's view, God's assessment, God's judgment on their actions, on who they are, on their hearts, on their desires. And as we've seen already, as we've been going through, we've seen that the nation of Israel has split into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. God has already pronounced judgment on the northern kingdom, Israel, due to their disobedience towards him. They've been invaded, swallowed up by um, an invading empire, the Assyrians. And God, God is saying to Judah, look, you're next if you don't change your ways, if you don't turn back to me. You're meant to be this city on a hill, this balloon flying high, declaring to the nations who I am and my goodness, and that's not happening. And so we've already seen that Jeremiah has been called by God, called to speak God's truth to Judah. And so here we get in chapter 7, Jeremiah speaking to the people at the temple, at the Lord's house. The, probably the men gathered, I think it's about two or three times a year, um, all together at the temple. And it's potentially one of these gatherings that uh, Jeremiah is at and stands and speaks. So let's read it. Jeremiah chapter 7 up to verse 15 from verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave to you to your ancestors forever and ever 
But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods um, you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did from your, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. Let's pray before we get into this. Father, thank you that. Uh, You are holy. Holy, holy is the Lord, as we've sung this morning. And yet we are... We're drawn in to who you are. We're able to approach you with confidence. Because of Jesus. And... And so we ask this morning, help us to um, approach your word. Thank you, it's living for us. Thank you, it teaches us. Thank you, by the Spirit, as we read, we encounter you. And so I pray, blow on us this morning. Help us to leave changed. Help us to leave challenged, help us to leave having encountered you. Amen. Okay. As you can tell, Jeremiah's message was not some kind of very self-centred sermon, very self-centred message. You know, this is not ten ways to be a better Israelite or uh, three ways to get the life you've always wanted. No, no. This is, as we've read, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what God thinks of how you're living your lives, says Jeremiah. And um, in chapter 26 of Jeremiah, we get a kind of similar account, and it's probably likely it's about the same... um, Uh, the the same event. Uh, But it tells us more in chapter 26. It tells us that Jeremiah is not well received because of his message. Um, The the people kind of say, how dare you say this? How dare you say this against the temple? How dare you say this against the people of God? And they want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. They want to see him off. This is an extreme response. You know, when I worked for Stockton Council, and I'm sure there's other people who 
have worked or work in local authorities that have had similar experiences. But when I worked in Stockton Council, I used to have to go to meetings, public meetings, and, uh, and explain why we would be building um, some affordable housing uh, that is going to block someone's view of the Cleveland Hills, or why we were going to build um, a care home for old people um, on a, a strip of land that their kids play on and have played on for years. And you know, it was always one of those, there were always some of those tetchy meetings where you didn't know how people were going to respond. By the way, you know that lovely view you have out of your back garden? Well, we're going to build some houses out the back of it because really you're not entitled to a view and we need more affordable housing. It wasn't always very well received. And uh, uh, yeah, as some of you I know who work in local authorities know, you often get the flack for that type of message and having to go out to the community and say things like that. But no one ever tried to kill me, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> Uh, close, but, but no one ever tried to kill us. Um, but you know, this is what happens as Jeremiah brings his message. And do you know, the attitudes that Jeremiah is addressing, really what the attitudes that God's addressing, are, are not simply for that time. Actually, they speak to us Two, Actually, they speak to us today. So there's two issues, um, I think, that he addresses that we can look at for us today. Firstly, how we treat others. And secondly, how we treat God. And really, they flow from the same root. Actually, they flow from um, a people who have settled for the shell of religion without the inner, without the substance. It's interesting, some of you might know we used to have a tarantula uh, a few years ago, um, a spider, kind of about this big. And uh, every few years, it uh, shed its skin. Has anyone got a spider? No. Has anyone got anything that sheds? Oh yes, you do, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it fun to watch it shed its skin? Um, you know, this, this, this dangerous creature, this spider, shedding its skin and leaving a perfect shell of itself in the cage. Your snake, I bet, does that as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but it's not dangerous. In fact, there's, there's nothing inside it. It's a shell. It, inside, it's empty. Inside, it's powerless. Um, and, it, and it's as if that's what these like people had done. They'd kept, the, they'd kept the shell of religion, but actually inside... It was empty. And verse 3 and 4 of this passage set out these issues. Uh, they say this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. And then in verse 4, he says, God says, Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So firstly, how we treat others. Reform your ways and actions. Well, what actions? What's he talking about? Well, actually, it's those described in chapter, um, verse 5 to 7. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, 
the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place. If you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. See, when they drifted away from God, it affected how they thought of and cared for others. So if you really think about that statement, you may say, Simon, are you saying that people without a faith don't or can't care for others as much as people with a faith? That's a controversial thing to say. Well, I'm not saying that. And uh, that's probably an evening for your ask course, maybe. Uh, but, um, but what I am saying is this. Do you know, people who outwardly express a form of godliness, they say all the right things, they do all the right things, but inwardly their hearts, their desires are empty towards God. Actually, they care less about the people around them. See, Jesus confronts it in the Pharisees of his day. We read in Luke chapter 11, um, he says, you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all kinds of garden herbs. Look, this this is how religious you think you are and you think you should be. You're even tithing, taking a tenth of the mint that's growing in your garden and making sure it goes to God. But you neglect justice and the love of God. And he goes on to say, you load people down with burdens they can't hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. See, the same can be true in our day too. Empty, self-righteous religion will always put the focus on us and not on others. See, if you think that you are somehow better than others, you've done better than others, then naturally you're going to expect others to treat you in that way and for you to remain in some some kind of power over them. Secondly, Jeremiah confronts how they treat God. Tret? Is Is that the past of treat? How they treat God? Is it tret? Treated or treated? Oh, we'll stop here before we get in an argument. How they were treating God. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. See, uh, some um, people suggest that this might have even become like a mantra, like a saying. Um, like almost a magic spell that they would say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Nothing can happen to us. Nothing bad will happen to us. We're safe. We have the temple. Look. See, the temple was God's sign that he was present with them. That was where they encountered him. That was where they, they encountered the living God. But it had become like a magic charm. As long as we have the temple, we'll be fine. No harm will come to us. How did this happen? How did they get into this place? Well, if you go back a hundred years in their history, we see that Jerusalem was on the edge of being invaded by the Assyrians. The northern kingdom had been invaded. The Assyrians were closing in on um, Judah 
and it, on Jerusalem. And it's the, um, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. Um, and in fact, even in history, um, there's, there's uh, somewhere in one museum you can go and you can read part of Sennacherib's public diary. And uh, it says, he writes in it, I have Hezekiah, king of Judah, shut up like a bird in a cage as if he is about to strike this bird that he's shut up, that he's closed in, ready to invade. And Isaiah the prophet calls Hezekiah to stand firm, trust in God, stand firm. And the people are called to trust in the Lord. And do you know what? A strange thing happens. The Syrian armies just disperse. They just disappear. They just retreat. There's no record of why, but they do. God has saved Jerusalem. The Lord has saved the city. But the problem was that it became a myth that seemed to develop. Jerusalem is God's chosen place. Hey, look what happened. We're God's chosen people. Now, as long as we have the temple, then nothing bad can happen to us. It's worrying how myths like this develop. If you go back just a hundred years in our history, um, think of the Titanic. One of the largest ships of its time. Do you know the Titanic? Yeah, okay. And a myth started to develop quickly that this boat was unsinkable. It was never, the builders never said that. They may have said things close to that. They never said that. But a myth developed very, very quickly that, hey, this was an unsinkable ship. Technology had moved on so much um, that this would not be able to be sunk. And do you know, when it was reported that it was in trouble, um, uh, just off the coast of Newfoundland, I think it was, um, and uh, it had got itself into some trouble, the vice president of the company uh, that owned it said, we place absolute confidence in the Titanic. We believe the boat is unsinkable. But do you know, little did he know that by the time he, those words had left his mouth, the Titanic was already at the bottom of the ocean after hitting um, iceberg. Thank you. <laughs> They'd believed the myth. See, Jeremiah is saying, you're deceiving yourselves. The temple is no guarantee that God won't judge your actions. See, look at verse 9. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods? At least five of the Ten Commandments are there. See, they're living one way and then turning up at the temple saying, hey, we'll always be safe. And he says, look at Shiloh. Look, Shiloh was a place, and if you read in the Old Testament, Shiloh was a place where God encountered his people. It was a, if there was a sac another sacred place, hey, it was Shiloh. A place where people gathered to the Lord. He says, but look at it now. Now it's a ruin. 
God's clearly telling them, do you know, hey, I'm not bound, I'm not restrained to a place. Hey, I'm sovereign and free. They were taking God for granted. They thought they could use God so that they could live in the way they wanted to. They didn't think this is the Lord. They did not think this is the Lord of the universe that judges injustice and wickedness. Rather, they thought, hey, this is someone who can be bribed by a bit of religious observance. And then he says, you've turned the temple into a den of robbers. A place where robbers would hide out after committing their crimes. We're safe here. We can hide out here. No one will find us here. Jeremiah says, that's what you've made the temple. But I've been watching you, says God. And you may have noticed it's the same, some of the same words that Jesus uses when he um, uh, clears the temple some 600 years later. He sees the injustice, the hypocrisy of the religious people of his day, how they oppress the poor through some of the um, commercial aspects of, um, of what they were buying and selling in the temple. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. Hey, do you know, we can sometimes take God for granted too. We sometimes think that, hey, he can be bribed. Well, I can kind of live how I want to live, really. As long as I mix in a bit of Christianity, then I'll be fine. I'll make it up on a Sunday morning. I will sing extra hard. I will give a little bit more money than I normally do. Do you know, I will make it look like my week was just full of selfless, loving, kind acts towards others. But it's empty. And God's not fooled. It's empty religion. But do you know, there is a better way. There is the better way than empty religion. And it's a way that transforms the way we approach and treat others, and it's a way that transforms the way we treat God. And it's not a way you have to discover, it's not a way you have to earn. Actually, it begins by God approaching us. It begins by us receiving Jesus. It's the good news of grace. The gospel of grace is the antidote to empty religion. What do I mean by that? Well, in John's account, uh, John, who wrote an account of Jesus' life, in his account of Jesus clearing the temple, he adds these words that Jesus says. He says, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And everyone thought, he's nuts. Destroy this temple? It took years to build and it's not even finished yet. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? But actually, he's talking about himself. He's saying, destroy this temple. He's saying, I'll be destroyed. I'll be put to death. But it won't be the end. I'll be raised to life in three days. 
and my death and resurrection will make the way for men and women to approach God. To get right with God. Why? Because I'm going to pay, I'm going to take the price for all their sin, for all their disobedience. I'm going to deal with it on the cross. Once for all. I'm going to take the punishment so that they might not have to. See, there is a temple you can trust in and his name is Jesus. He is the true temple. He is the place. He is the person where you encounter God because he is God. And we're accepted. Accepted because of what he's done. Accepted because of who we are in him. This is grace. This is wonderful grace. This is grace that transforms how we treat others around us. This is what Tim Keller says, um, a a pastor in the United States. He says this, he says, God saves completely by grace. He cannot be manipulated by religious or moral performance. He can only be reached through repentance, through the giving up of power. If we are saved by sheer grace, we can only become grateful, willing servants of God and have everyone around us. See, it transforms us. It transforms how we treat those around us. That's why I love things like Open Door, things like Safe Families for Children. That's why I love what happens at Hope. That's what I love happens in social action projects like this. Well, it's not about having some kind of power over people, but about expressing the love of God to others. Because we're free. Because we've received grace. Because we've received mercy. Because we've received kindness. And because of that, we're able to serve others. Able to care for others. See, grace also affects how we treat God and what our life looks like as a result of that. See, sometimes people say, don't preach grace too much. Don't do it. People won't choose to live in obedience to God if you preach grace too much. Do you know that's not true? Do you know grace understood properly transforms our obedience? See, grace says, my standing before God is not based on anything I've done, Yet, yet, it does matter how I live. It matters to the one who did everything for me. It matters because I'm not the same person as I was before. It matters because I belong to someone new now. I belong to Jesus. It matters because he's made me a temple of his spirit. And he fills me. And he wants to use me to display his goodness to those around him. It matters how I live. It matters, like Raj was saying last week, uh, it matters because I'm now wedded to this one. And I want to love and please Jesus. So, 
can't be one thing during the week and another thing's on Sundays because Jesus has saved me for life to the full. He hasn't just saved us for good behaviour on Sundays. This is what uh, Paul says in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So grace teaches us. I'm not going to talk bad about that person that's offended me. Because I know I was offensive to God. And he still loved me. And I belong to his family now. So I'm not going to do it. My friends might do, but do you know what? I'm not going to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I know God's got better for me. And if I wait till marriage, then that's his way. And, and I know if he gave himself up for me, he wants the best for me. And I'm in Christ now. I want to... I wanna, I wanna, my body matters. I want to do what he calls me to do. See, it's a totally different way of thinking. See, sometimes we think of grace and obedience as opposites, don't we? Don't mention grace and obedience in the same sentence. But listen, listen, grace must come first. It's the basis of our relationship with God. It's entirely on grace. It's entirely on what Jesus has done for us, not what we've done for us, uh, what we've done for ourselves. But get this, this is what uh, one commentator says about grace and obedience and about this passage. He says, a right understanding of grace and obedience are essential to not only this passage, but to the whole of the Bible. He says, on the one hand, we do not, we cannot earn our way to God's favour and blessing. We receive God's gift of grace as the basis for our relation, as the only basis for our relationship with him. But on the other hand, it rules out the idea that once you've got God's promise tucked away, it doesn't matter how you live. Obedience is the only way to enjoy the blessing of God's promise. But do you know, it's obedience not to earn God's affection, but in response to God's affection. In response to his goodness. In response to his love. Let's pray, and then we're going to respond in song. I believe God just wants to minister to us by his spirit this morning. Let's come before him. I believe in in his grace he's calling us to respond in affectionate obedience to him. Listen there, that might mean a lifestyle thing for you. It might be something, some area in your life you know, in, in grace, I need to be obedient. It may be in a situation that you're trusting in other things for. 
and not in God. He's calling you in obedience to trust in him for that situation. It may be that, it may be about how you think about yourself. Oh, I'm worthless. Who would want me? Oh, I'll never be very, I'll never be any good at that. He wants to, he wants in grace you to think obediently. He wants you to line up your thinking with what he says about you. You might be thinking, why would, how could I ever be like that balloon being filled up to display God's goodness to the world? Well, he wants, he wants you to obediently line up your thinking. It's not about, it's not about your good efforts. It's about him filling you with his spirit. It might be that there are things in your life you know you're, you're almost using to earn God's affection. If I keep this up, God will still keep loving me. It's almost like you're using it as a bargaining tool. God, if I keep this up, you keep your end of the bargain and make sure my life's okay. No, no, that, it doesn't work like that. And he just wants you to receive his grace afresh today. You haven't got to earn it. You haven't got to strive for it. It's grace. And uh, I believe he does want to minister to us by the Spirit this morning. If the band could come up, we're just going to keep in prayer for a moment. Allow him just, allow him just to speak into those things you know he's just putting his finger on this morning. Those, those areas of grace and obedience that I've talked about. He's a loving, loving Father. Holy Spirit, touch us, fill us, blow on us. We want to live lives not out of legalism, not out of trying to earn your affection, but in grace, knowing you've done it all, knowing that Jesus has done it all. And so we receive grace afresh this morning and we respond in joyful obedience. We respond in grace-filled obedience. And that's not always easy. Sometimes it takes difficult steps or, um, or, or radical um, thinking or action. But it's always worth it.
And so I pray, would you help us? Would you fill us for this week so that all we do this week, um, we do in the power of your Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. You send us out as a people prepared, having encountered you, knowing we go into this week not having to just rush through till we get to the next Sunday, but that you're with us by your Spirit this week in all we go into, in all we face, in, uh, in our time together, in different groups, and also in the places you've put us. Thank you. Thank you for the amazing privilege of being your, your ambassadors, ambassadors, signposts to you in this place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond in worship. Why don't we stand? Why don't we sing?